This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 45. My guest this week, Sky McAlpine, is probably living my dream life. Splitting her time between Venice and London, she is a mother, blogger and cook and has just published her first recipe book, A Table in Venice. In this week's interview, we had a good chat about the realities of getting published, learning photography by yourself, establishing an online audience and lots more. Hi Sky, welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hi Sarah, thank you so much for having me, I'm so excited for this. It's really lovely to talk to you in real life instead of on Instagram, as always. Could you do a quick introduction to who you are and what you do for everyone listening? Yes, so I'm Sky McAlpine and I'm a food writer and blogger and I grew up in Venice and I live now in Venice half the year and in London the rest of the year and I've just published my first cookbook which is called A Table in Venice and is a celebration of Venetian home cooking, the sort of simple, easy Italian classic recipes that I grew up with and that I love so much and cook a lot still today. And it is beautiful. It is a beautiful thing to hold and to have, let alone to cook from. You're very, very sweet. Thank you. (laughs) It was a labour of love. (laughs) So I was just saying to you before we hit record on this that I don't feel like I know an awful lot about how you first got started because you have this huge Instagram following. You have a blue tick on Instagram. Take us back to the start and how you got going on the internet. Well, I have always loved eating and always loved cooking and from the age of kind of 16, 17, and particularly when I started at university and started cooking for myself, I developed a real love of cookbooks and reading cookbooks and just reading about food and almost reading cookbooks like novels in bed at night with a and kind of really loving that so that's always been a huge part of my life so I studied classics at university I went to school in Venice at the local school and then I came to England for university and when I finished my degree I I did a master's and um, then eventually a PhD in classics but what I found was that a lot of the time when I should have been at the library and I should have been researching for my thesis actually I was at home reading cookbooks or (laughs) what we were going to have for supper or who was going to come over and what I was going to cook and food and writing about food and reading about food has always been such a huge part of my life and has been my passion so it was probably about two thirds of the way through my PhD I took a year's year off when we had our son Aeneas for maternity leave and in that year kind of was a moment that I really thought about what I wanted to do with my life work-wise and whether I was going to work and I realized I really wanted to work but I wanted to do something that I really loved if I was going to be a working mother I wanted to make sure that I was passionate about what I was Mm. and what was in a way taking me away from from my family so I started writing my blog just with a kind of vague dream of maybe one day writing a cookbook I knew that my dream was to write a cookbook but I didn't know that I could write a cookbook yes and what year was this when um, Aeneas was probably about one, I started writing the blog. So he's five and a half now, so it would be about four and a half years ago. And I sp- I'd spent a long time sort of thinking about it and being nervous about putting my toes in the water. And I don't know why I was actually, because when I first started writing the blog, no one was reading it. But I spent a long time thinking about it and then I just started writing. And it really just grew quite organically 
from there. When I started writing my blog, I discovered, you know, I was reading other blogs and I discovered there was this thing called Instagram, which I hadn't heard of before, but everybody else seemed to be on it. So I got on it as well. And I think it really was a question of being kind of right place at the right moment, because it was just as I think Instagram as a platform was really growing. And there was a lot of interest in you know, food and, and and visuals and, and, and lifestyle. And it, it kind of became a, a really stronger platform for me than my blog in a way. So I just met, made so many friends that way and connected with so many people. I think you're being a little bit modest because, yes, it was a good time for Instagram, but not everybody grew. Um, hang on, let me just look. How many followers have you got right now? Not everybody grew to 144K. Um, <laughs> your amazing kind of visual eye and your photography played a huge part in that. Did you have any background in photography? No. So the photography for me, I really got into the whole kind of food Instagram blog thing because I loved eating cooking and writing and the photography for me was really an afterthought when I started I, I was the kind of person I never took photos I didn't even like take family photos I didn't have a camera I had my phone obviously but um I didn't really have any interest in photography but I realized quite quickly with the blog that in order to persuade anyone to read my recipes or my thoughts it was really important to have appealing or enticing image in the same way I guess when you have a meal you want it to look nice um if you put a plate of kind of brown slodge down in front of someone they're going to be less excited (laughs) no matter how good it tastes like (laughs) so I bought I, I bought a camera I think I started with the Canon 60 which is a really great camera and and was an investment such a I remember at the time I ummed and art about it mm, your first DSLR feels like a huge leap into the unknown anyway doesn't it and it's such a lot of money for something you're not sure you're going to be able to use and also I think I was so lacking in confidence in my own photography skills that I couldn't imagine that a camera would make my photos better but it did <laughs> and then I read up quite a lot on like various books on food styling or food photography just to kind of get to grips with things like depth of field and how to use the camera essentially and I spent a lot of time online on Pinterest looking at pictures and the ones I liked and why I liked them and what I liked about them and I also I did a workshop with Beth Kirby in Mm. Portugal and so she kind of was a great help in terms of getting to grips with because I sort of knew how I wanted things to look. I just couldn't make it happen. And so she kind of really helped kind of grow confidence with that. And then it's turned out to be something that I, I really enjoy. And now for me, I, I felt really privileged that for my book, the publishers were happy to take a kind of risk on me taking the photos. Because now for me, telling the story of food is so much more comprehensive than just writing about it. It's about the imagery as well as the words, as well as the recipe, as well as the ingredients in the dish and the kind of the whole thing goes hand in hand together. Yeah, definitely. And and it feels like really your Instagram has become the home for all of those things joined together. Yeah, yes, because ironically, although I started with the blog and I still love my blog and when I do blog, I love that there's the space there to write as much as I want to and about personal things and whatever I want to. Um, ironically, the book was such a huge time commitment and various other bits of freelance writing and what have you and events that have come along mean that I don't update it very often, but Instagram somehow just feels 
so much more manageable because you can do it from your phone yeah. <laughs> and it's such a kind of responsive community that I I guess I miss it so much if I if I don't post and sort of say hello to everybody it feels like micro blogging Instagram doesn't it so it's kind of what we were doing on our blogs but taken into kind of tiny everyday moments instead of the saving it all up and making it into one big that's exactly it and I feel I'm sure this is all in my head but I feel less pressure on Instagram so now with blog posts I get in a situation it's kind of like when you feel like you need to call a friend or write an email to a friend to catch up and then it's been so long but the email has to be really really long and right because you never have enough time to write this kind of epic email that's how blogging feels a little bit for me at the moment I'm conscious that there's so much that I should be saying that I end up not saying anything whereas with Instagram it just feels more informal and so I'm happy to just put up a little snap of my lunch and be like this is my lunch (laughs) I think there's something in there as well though that's fine like it's good for us to go in the direction that feels natural and easy and if something feels like it's too big a job to take on or it's a lot of work it's okay to say I'm not going to do that right now and I'm going to focus instead on another platform that's kind of calling to me well I I remember you hearing hearing you say that on one of your podcasts and thinking like that's such good advice (laughs) that feels kind of nice to hear someone say it's okay not to be doing everything the whole time (laughs) yeah there's a time and a place for everything and it might be that in six months time you suddenly have an awful lot to say on some topics and Instagram doesn't feel like the right space for them and then the blog will come back into its own and I just think there's a time and a place for things and that we can evolve across different platforms and that's part of the fun of it yeah it really I mean that's incredible I mean the internet is an amazing thing in a way it has us this luxury to kind of talk about different things in different ways in in so many on so many different platforms as you say like kind of in keeping with your mood yeah and as as women as women to have these conversations conversations about food and about family and about work that not that long ago a generation or two ago just weren't heard completely and also I just think it's it's amazing kind of it's a great way to discover so many other people who have a passion for what you have a passion for yes. and the peculiar your passion might be whether it's like pink roses or fly fishing or some special kind of vinegar or something yeah the, the instagram or the internet in a wider sense will help you find the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other people in the world who share what you're interested in and that's i feel like that's had a huge impact on more traditional media as well because I mean not so much with your book I feel like your book would always have appealed beautiful food and Venice and beautiful photography has a universal appeal but building an audience and being able to go to a publisher or I suppose like a any kind of commissioner for tv or for film and say look there's enough people when you gather them together around the world who want this who would consume this product to prove that there's an audience for things. And I think it's shook up, shaken up a lot of traditional media kind of commissioning. I think it has. I think now a lot of commissioning, they, not say they rely upon people having an inbuilt, authors having an inbuilt audience, but I think it's definitely, it really helps them make their case as to why this is going to be a book that they should buy and that they should invest in. It's definitely encouraged. In fact, I hear, I'd say it here at least once a week from somebody who says, my agent says I need to grow my social media following before we can publish. I mean, in a way, I can't decide if it's a good thing or or not, because in a way you kind of think, gosh, there have been so many good, if you think 20 years ago, so many fantastic books that came out where publishers had to take a gamble and they'd just look at them and be like, this author's brilliant or they've got something interesting to say, that's enough. 
now in a way it feels like you sort of need to do a lot of that work before you get to them yeah and it's a different skill like the ability to grow a social media following is not necessarily the same as the skill to write a really good book on a specific topic it's absolutely not but then I guess at the same time in a way they're kind of the same thing which is communicating a message in the way that people respond to it so I guess they are different skills but if you can bring it together I think that really helps and I think it really helps the publishers I mean it's such a changing media landscape that Mm. publishers are forced to think about what their role is now Mm. I mean I find I buy when it comes to cookbooks I'm buying more books than possibly I did before because ironically I spend so much time online whether at my computer or my phone and what I see online are kind of all these endless beautiful and inspiring and exciting images or stories and it makes me more interested in food or lifestyle I guess in a broader sense but what I really then want is to sit down in the evening with an actual physical book and to be able to kind of enjoy that same kind of content but in a more permanent way that's interesting that's really interesting and a cookbook makes it tangible doesn't it because you can literally make yourself a little slice of that that life or that world and it's just the feel of the pages I think it's more restful on my eyes which sounds weird and also I think what's quite nice about a book is it's really edited down the thing about the internet and instagram is it's a constant rabbit hole so you click on one thing and that inevitably leads to another which leads to another which leads to another and it never really ends and that's wonderful and exciting in terms of finding new authors and new people and new recipes and new ideas but also inevitably leaves you with a feeling or leaves me with a slight feeling of kind of having to break away not having quite finished it you never get to the end do you whereas with a book you you do get to the end and there's something quite satisfying about that so being able to have the I think the two work well together which I guess is why publishers ideally look for authors with with a foot in both yeah I certainly feel like I'm, I'm at the point in my book where it's kind of pretty much done and we're now doing the tweaking but I would have written a very different and a much less of a strong book if I hadn't had all that experience of writing and communicating with my audience because you know them so well by the time you put pen to page you know I've already sent out a million blog posts and Instagram captions and had conversations over emails and in e-courses so you know what they want you know what works you know what doesn't work you know what resonates you know what doesn't resonate you know where people get stuck so you're able to write a much more mature kind of experienced book than you would if you were brand new kind of guessing who might be reading it and buying it definitely I think that that's a huge part I mean you kind of a lot it, it's sort of like working as part of a group it's a focus group essentially if yes. you're going to think about it in business-like terms it's the luxury of having a focus group before you've written the book and then you when you take it to your publisher with your proposal you're able to say well look this is what there's interest in this is what I want to say and it's relevant to people because of x y and z and they agree how did you find for yourself the act of being edited down for a book I loved it (laughs) Uh, as in working with an editor yeah well and then having those constraints I suppose I really enjoyed it for me it was great because I felt like it helped me hone in 
my writing and pushed me to be you know a better writer I think definitely the the book that was published compared to the, the manuscript was was significantly improved and it was really lovely to have that critical feedback from someone who I really respected and also just getting a second point of view from someone completely different and in a way unimpassioned or not involved in the process because sometimes things sound a certain way in your head this is what I find is it sounds a certain way in my head but sounds very different to the person reading it on the page or often for example things particularly because I was writing about Venice and life here and food because it's what I grew up with a lot of it seemed very normal and maybe there were details that I hadn't included because they seemed obvious and normal to me but having that kind of external perspective he would kind of say no I think that isn't obvious you, you should explain that a little bit more or, or give that detail I think that's interesting so it's really hard when you're writing about something so personal what I found quite hard is to kind of figure out what is interesting for people yeah <laughs> what point do you just kind of delve off into sort of a form of narcissism <laughs> or at what point are you sharing something that's very personal to you that that the reader is going to be able to relate to and will hopefully kind of touch them in some way because my favorite cookbooks are the ones that are incredibly personal that's what I love most about food is that it's in a way the most one of the most personal things that we do I was just writing about that just the other day actually that like it, it can be kind of maligned the whole Instagram food scene and and people roll their eyes that Instagram is taking pictures of their food you know standing on the table with your phone but actually it's a record of something so personal when you see a plate of food like from someone else's dinner table it's it's a record of their kind of intimate moments it feels really intimate to me and I love that about food photography that's that's definitely what I love about food generally and photography as well I completely agree is when it is a snapshot into someone's life but into their life and either what's making them happy and also food in so many ways relates to your mood and your feelings for me it's you know there's comfort food for when you're down or there's celebratory food for when it's a special occasion or quick food for when you're in a rush or there's that kind of it is so much a reflection of who we are and where we're at where we're at it was there was a tweet that went viral a few months ago that I saw going around and it it was something along the lines of when you see a photograph of somebody else's Sunday lunch and you just or Christmas dinner and you just feel really glad that you're not in that family (laughs) (laughs) but other people's Sunday lunches always look like wrong if it's not the one that you've always grown up with or always had it's so funny because I was talking to someone about Sunday lunches funnily enough and I was saying you even just the word Sunday lunch conjures up a completely different notion in all of us yes it's that moment usually when you get together with your family but maybe you get together you know for us it's really with friends we always have Sunday lunch with friends and it's like a big quite a big deal but it just it's so riddled with emotion and nostalgia and but it's it's one word but it means something completely different for all of us so true I remember in the early days of the internet being on like a forum and on Christmas day we'd share pictures of our Christmas dinner and and for people in America 
I would not be able to recognize what 90% of the food on the plate was and vice versa. They'd be like, what is that brown stuff? And I'd be like, it's chestnut stuffing. Do you not have chestnut stuffing? So well, part of your Christmas meal is it's not what Christmas is all about. But yeah, such a funny it's, because I was laughing with someone recently and I was saying the thing about Christmas is what makes a good Christmas lunch is not it being good or being particularly yummy, but it being exactly as it was last year. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of like it might be having like the potatoes slightly burnt because your mother always does them slightly yep. so they yep. be slightly burnt or having like brussels sprouts that you don't even like and no one likes but, but you have to have them <laughs> so true christmas dinner i always say that's my favorite food if you ask my favorite food it's christmas dinner but it's based on the one my grandma always made which is based on the one her mom made so it's this legacy through our family of what constitutes Christmas dinner and I refuse to deviate from it that's very important you must not deviate from it (laughs) (laughs) what do you have so it's got to be turkey and there's got to be now my grandma always had to have mushy peas with Christmas dinner I think that might be quite controversial I like it though I do like it I love mushy peas yeah and I think it's a she grew up in Blackpool in the north and I think it's it was just a a northern probably a wartime thing as well when you couldn't buy fresh peas so you had to buy them dehydrated I don't know but it stays you have to have mushy peas now with Christmas dinner (laughs) I feel like I pulled us off track because you were talking about your book and I'm sorry I've moved on to my Christmas dinners from childhood (laughs) and also with editing the thing that I'm finding interesting and I'm sure you did too is being able to work as part of a team oh it's so good it's such a privilege I really I think that's one of the things that I enjoyed most about the book was suddenly not doing everything and that didn't mean less work it just it meant getting honest feedback on your work at a stage when you could still improve it and change it and from someone who wants to see you do your best right because when you're a blogger that doesn't happen well no because you 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 write it and you put your everything into it and then you put it out there and it's such a friendly community that people are always very kind but it's sort of different and if you do get feedback it it's on something that you've already finished and put out there and if you do get negative feedback it feels more like criticism whereas I think when you're getting feedback at that stage when you're still developing it and you're working together as a team to create the best version of it that you can it doesn't feel like criticism it it feels like just help (laughs) just feedback that's such an interesting point you're so right like there's something in that hit and publish or or calling it done that makes us feel more invested in it being received well and it's okay before that exactly and 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 really in a way the the first draft that I sent to my editor is you know if if I'd been writing a really long blog post that would have been what I'd hit publish on so I don't know why it feels different getting feedback but it does and it's lovely and and it's with writing my book I've been really stuck on that because I'm so used to being able to edit you know I write an e-course I write a blog post and if something's confusing people or if people are kind of reacting to something I can always go and change it I can always improve it that that option to go back in and edit and edit and edit is always there it's not there with a book it's got a cover and and it's going on a page and there's nothing I can do about it once it's out in the world and if I accidentally said something the wrong way and offended everybody there is no way to pull that back (laughs) it is quite daunting I don't know if you find it daunting yeah I found it terrifying 
Yeah, it is really daunting. But then in another way, what's quite nice about it is that permanence, which we were talking about earlier yeah. in terms of like, as a reader, I guess it's the same thing as a writer. It's that feeling of that's done. And I did the best that I could at the time. And it was not perfect, because nothing ever is or certainly in my case it's definitely not perfect and I look back and I think gosh I should have done this a bit differently or I wish I'd like phrased that sentence a little differently or whatever but it's your best version of it at that point in time and it's who you are then and it's done your job is done and you can sit back and kind of move on to the next thing yes <laughs> yeah instead of always keeping half a mind on well could shall I just go and change that and that's the feeling that your to-do list online is never done it's never done and oddly I find with my blog is what I'm constantly thinking is like gosh if I should go back and and reshoot that post because that photo I could do so much better now or I you know I've, I've worked on that you know I've cooked that recipe since then and I think it's better done this way and go back and change it or whatever it is and there's there's that constant temptation even if you don't act upon it but it's kind of lingering in the back of my mind thinking I could go back and just make it all so much better the perfectionist yeah the perfectionist work is never done online no (laughs) I thought it was really interesting as well when when we were hooking up the Skype call you said that you're a technophobe because you don't associate that with someone who's built an entire online powerhouse for themselves it's such an irony but I really am I mean as evidenced by our struggles hooking up the Skype call (laughs) which were purely at my end but I really kind of do struggle and that's partly even why I guess it took me so long to start writing my blog even though I've been thinking that I wanted to write something for ages is just it it intimidated me and, and scared me this notion of setting up a website and I always have issues with it but I sort of have issues virtually like sending emails or... or, or <laughs> oh, who <laughs> doesn't? Nothing works like it's meant to. But for me, it's been great. It's been such a huge learning curve. There's so much that I've learned because I've had to learn it in order to kind of get this message out or to talk about what I wanted to talk about, whether it's kind of how to set up a blog or how to post on Instagram or how to use stories or these quite basic things that felt like challenges for me but it's been such a great way of discovering that I could do more than I thought I could do (laughs) yeah kind of if it's something terrifies you and you manage to conquer it it feels like a lot more is possible yeah (laughs) you said at the beginning you wanted to get into something that you're passionate about because it was going to be competing with your time as a parent how do you find that balance now well I think it's always a juggling act and I I suspect if you, I mean, certainly all my friends who are mothers who work or who don't work, when I talk to them, life is a balancing act. Mm-hmm. About parenting is you never feel like you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. You could always be doing it better or it's never quite working out maybe as, as you'd imagined it to be. I guess that's part of the charm and the fun. What I love about what I do now is that I love what I do so much that it doesn't feel like work. So I work really hard, but I feel like I never work. What's yes. saying that says do a job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life and I feel incredibly privileged that that is the life that I have and I'm also lucky that I think this kind of work I do from home so I'm cooking at home obviously and writing at home and whilst I do have help with Anis and it is work so I can't always do it with him sitting next to me it allows me to fit around his schedule a lot more than a traditional office job would have allowed me to and it's all quite intermeshed so he's a part of my work in the same way as my work is part of my life (laughs) so it feels more collaborative I guess and quite family friendly yes well and that was always the aim wasn't it so you've built that 
yeah, so I feel really lucky that it, I can now actually call it call it work and that that's how it's kind of played out. Can I hear in the background some bells ringing? They're the church bells. <laughs> so beautiful. Just the bells of Venice down the line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so magical. Do you, does Aeneas, am I saying his name right? Yes, you are. <laughs> does he travel with you to London and across Venice? Is it kind of both? Yeah, he does. So he comes to, so I'm in Venice a lot. I'm here about half the year now. So he comes with me whenever he can. He's just started a, a, um, a little school in London for now. So he comes to meet with me to Venice for all his holidays. And then if I'm here just for work, very specifically for work, he, he might, I'll try and do that whilst he's at school and he stay in London with his father and I'll come out for a few days and kind of try and plow through but he spends a lot of time with me here which is so nice it was such a magical place to grow up that I feel very lucky to hopefully be able to make that a part of his childhood as well totally magical I'm, I'm quite jealous actually <laughs> it's the dream <laughs> tell me about events and things you've got coming up things so the book has just launched when did it come out the book came out on the 28th of March and so I've got lots of events coming up so it's a really exciting time it's just really nice to kind of I'm starting to see um, on Instagram people who've bought the book and are cooking from the book and it's such an incredible feeling to think of those recipes being in in other people's homes and kitchens it feels like such a privilege so it's such an exciting time you've done it like that that thing you set out to do at the beginning where your big dream was to maybe one day have a cookbook from your blog this you're living that dream right now <laughs> I can't quite believe it but it, it feels very good <laughs> do you know what the next dream is like you've done that what's next well, I'd love to I'd love to write another cookbook and that's something I'm kind of in the very early stages of thinking about now and I'm also working on a couple of other projects, but I'd love to start an online shop as well. So would that be food related, cooking related? Food and lifestyle. I'd love to collect together all those pieces that help me make my table, particularly and my home in a wider sense, feel special and welcoming and the kind of place mm. where I want to cook and I want to have friends come in and share that meal with me. So I'd love to kind of include, you know, include like a kind of lovely linen table nap. Yes. My favourite candles and all these things that I really love, just put them together in one place. So. I'm going to have to link for people listening to somewhere where I've seen pictures of your home because it is gorgeous. It is the dream. Like, yeah, your interiors and your styling are just perfect to me. So I'm going to buy everything in your shop. Please put me down for one of everything. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> where can people find you online if they would like to? Well, I'm sure they would love to find out more about what you're doing. So my blog, which is from mydiningtable.com, and I've got a page at the moment where I'm listing all the upcoming events surrounding the book and workshops and styling workshops and so forth, but kind of all there, and I'm updating that. And now that the book's done, I'm hoping to be updating the blog with more recipes and stories as well. And um, that's where I'm going to launch the shop as well when that comes hopefully later this summer. Oh, and my Instagram is just my name. It's at skymacalpine fantastic show notes are at meanola.co.uk forward slash podcast 45 you'll find all of the links to everything we talked about this week as well as sky's handles and you can find me on instagram and twitter at meanola if you want to chat with us about what you heard this week i hope that this was valuable and i will see you next time